Alaska. Would you come and preach to them? So would you please welcome Pastor Mark English. Hey man, hey, listen, it's still about Jesus, isn't it? When I look around, I see a bunch of trophies of grace. If it were not for the grace of Jesus, where would we be? There would be no reason to be celebrating this morning. There'd be no reason to be lifting our hands. There'd be no reason to be here if it weren't for the grace of Jesus. And so, uh, thank you, Randy and Pastor and uh, Pastor Harry, this weekend, uh, great weekend with the guys. And man, this weather, is it always like this in Alaska? This is amazing. But, you know, I, uh, as Randy said, give you a little background. I've been married 31 years to uh, Christy, and um, Christy actually is doing a conference this weekend uh, to women who have experienced abortion and how to be healed from that. And uh, through a ministry called Save One and uh, an incredible ministry, and then I have uh, a daughter and a son-in-law, and sometimes I say I have a daughter and Christy's son-in-law um, <laughs> that, that live in Florida and with our first grandbaby, and uh, they've been married about six or seven years. And then I have a 20-year-old that goes to Old Roberts University. She's home uh, for the summer, and then a 14-year-old boy. And you're like, boy, you stretched them out. Well, actually, we adopted our last two Grace when she was nine months, and Elijah when, she, when he was two months. And, uh, and then our granddaughter, we adopted her out of Philadelphia within the last year. And um, so we believe that every child deserves a mom and a dad. We believe that every girl deserves to be walked down the aisle and have a dad. And we believe every son should have a father. And, um, and so we're passionate about adoption and orphan care and foster care. And um, we pastored in Florida for, we were on staff 24 years, and I pastored the church 20 years uh, um, uh, in near Destin, Florida, and in the panhandle of Florida, and uh, real heavy military area. Some of the military people that are here, you would recognize those places. And... Uh, Three years ago, out of the blue, after I had built my dream home on 130 acres, and my mom and dad to one side and Christy's parents to the other, God said, you're done. And that is a sudden shift in your life when that happens. Because you're thinking, I'm here for good. I'm not going anywhere else. I've got everything I want, and life is on cruise. And the Lord's blessing. A lot of times we think, man, we're walking in the blessings of God. We're thinking, man, this is it. This is where I'm staying. And God says, no, it's time. And what a great adventure, moving to Philadelphia, the liberal bastion of the United States. <laughs> and, uh, and I was in a very conservative area. But this is what I found out. Where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds up much more. I was telling someone earlier, the first couple of months we were there, we, I decided, I said, you know what, I'm going to take an entire month, month and I'm going to preach on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I did an entire series, and I said, the last Sunday, we're going to have a Sunday night service for people just to receive the baptism. In that service, we had over 200 people filled with a baptism. 
People are hungry for Jesus. People are hungry for a divine appointment with Jesus. And I hope you showed up this morning because you anticipated that Jesus was going to show up. See, I found this over the years, that God works in the anticipation of his people. You know, I've said this before. You can be in the presence of Jesus and never absorb the presence of Jesus. You know, you look all throughout the Bible. People had these experiences, but they weren't changed because they didn't embrace the change. And they walked away bitter. They walked away upset. And so when we walk in this morning, why don't we just... Decide in our hearts that, God, you're going to touch us today. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, I've often said this, is really as simple as this. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make us a little bit more like Jesus every time we encounter him. Amen. So, Lord, this morning, God, I'm believing. Come on, I want you just to lift your hands right there where you're at. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Holy Spirit, we are totally inadequate without your touch on our lives. We cannot be what Jesus called us to be without your work, Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we we pray that as we hear the word today, that it would become like life to us, that we would digest it and not just be hearers of the word. It's so easy just to hear the word, but you've called us to do the word. So, God, as we hear the word this morning, may we do it. Holy Spirit, make us a little bit more like Jesus today. In your name we pray. And everybody said amen, 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 and amen. You know, I want to take you to a portion of scripture this morning, just for a few moments about this weekend, I I was talking with the guys, and I was talking about one thing I love, I love being around people who are just all in. They're there in the moment. I love going to eat with people that are all in. You know, I, I love going, one thing I love about Philadelphia, it's a food city. Man, you get any kind of food in the sixth largest city in America, you can get any kind of it. You want Puerto Rican food? You can get Puerto Rican food. You want Ukrainian food? You can get Ukrainian food. You want Russian food? You can get Russian food. You want Italian food, the best Italian food in the world. I mean, incredible. But I love coming. I don't want to go. You know, when I go to an Italian place to eat, I don't want to go with someone that says, I'll have a salad. <laughs> like, what? Are you serious? I, I mean, I want people... That, you know, it's like when I eat. My wife is an incredible cook. She loves to cook, good southern cook, everything with butter, bacon, gravy. I mean, everything. So she cooks. So I make noises when I eat. Do you do, you do that, guys? When you're eating, do you go, mmm, mmm. You know what I found out? That when I do that, the cooking gets a lot better. Can I tell you? Preaching's the same way. If you give me an amen, it gets better. It just gets a little bit better. But but when you eat with people, and they're just like, oh. Mm. I love being with people who are just all in. I don't like people around people that you have to wonder where they're at and what's going on. That if they show up for church, they might be there, they might not be there. Or it's a ministry and they they might not be there. I, I want people that are all in. That they've sold out, they're totally committed to this, but also want people that recognize when a new season happens. That they're okay that God moves them. They're okay when God shifts a season on them, regardless of what's happening in their life. When I think of people that are all in, several years ago, 
I was in Scotland. And many of you, maybe you've seen the movie Braveheart. We, uh, we have something in our family. Years ago, there was a, there was a, um, um, there was a company out there called Clean Flicks. And what you could do is you could get movies that they had cleaned up. In other words, they had taken out, you know, the cursing and all those kind of things. They had cleaned it up. Well, Braveheart was one of these movies. And so we got it and I watched it. And man, I just loved it. I watched it over and over again. William Wallace totally in this. He is sold out. He is going to free Scotland. And, and I, love this, I, I love this one saying in the movie. It says, every man dies, but not every man lives. Every man dies, but not every man lives. And do you remember Robert the Bruce? Robert the Bruce, you know, he's in line to be the king, but he just has no heart. He's not really all in. He, he tries to play politics here and there and there. And William Wallace is saying, you have the ability to change this nation if you would just do it. But he just wasn't all in. He can never get all in until we know, history tells us, until after William Wallace died. When I was in Scotland, I was in, we went up to Stirling, and I walked where one of the great battles where William Wallace was at. And I thought, as I stood there with my wife, I said, God, I want to be all in like men like this. They said, no matter what, you only have one life to live. One life. And the thing I've discovered, the older I get, I don't know what it is, but birthdays come quicker. Yeah. They just, boy, it's just like, wow, wow. I told my 14-year-old the other day, we were talking about it, I said, son, there's more sand on the bottom of the hourglass for me now than on top. I said, but you have more sand. I said, make sure you live your life in such a way that you live it in such a way that when it comes to a place of decision in your life, you're saying, I'm all in. I'm all in no matter what. Every man dies, but not every man lives. I think about the Apostle Paul, and I, and I love when he, he's, he's mentoring young Timothy, and, and I think every man should have a young man that he's mentoring. I, I think you should have multiple people. At, I, I told Christy at the age I am now, my goal is every year I'm mentoring young men. Because I have something to say now. Because I've been through these battles. I said this to the men this week, and never trust anyone that does not have battle scars. Never. They want you in a war, but they themselves have no effects of war. And, and so Paul, he's talking to young Timothy, and I love what he says at the end of his life. Listen to what he says. 2 Timothy 4 and 6, he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Can we all say that? Can we say that my life is an offering to God? That God, what I have, everything I have, I just give it to you. Because all of us need to understand in, the, in this place, we're not owners, we're stewards. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. Your house, it belongs to the Lord. Your bank account, it belongs to the Lord. Your car belongs to the Lord. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. And listen, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And I've remained faithful. Faithful. Listen to this. He's telling Timothy, he says, I've given everything. I've emptied myself. 
I've fought in this life. I've given everything, and it's all worth it. It's all worth it to give everything. You almost have a sense that Paul crossed that line many years ago and said, I'm going to give everything. I'm going to give everything. But this is the thing I've discovered with the Lord. He always brings us to another place and another place. And where you fight one giant is to prepare you for the next one and the next one and the next one. I told the men this weekend, this life we're in, it is meant to be a fight. It's not meant to be easy. You see, the fight that we're in actually causes a dependency upon who Jesus is. Remember what Paul said? He said, I prayed three times for the Lord to deliver me from this thorn in the flesh. Listen, Paul, the prolific writer of the New Testament, he said, I prayed three times for God to deliver me from this suffering that I'm going through. And what did the Lord say? I'm not doing it. But one thing I am going to do is my grace is sufficient for you as you walk through this, that in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. The, one, of the, one of the most profound places that you can walk in is those moments where you feel weak and yet you feel the strength of Jesus sustaining you. That's what the world is looking for. The world is looking for a believer that can walk through the toughest times of their life and be sustained supernaturally by Jesus. Someone that is all in that is poured out, that is given everything. You sense that he burned the bridges, that he canceled all the plan Bs a long time ago, that he crossed over. I wonder how many times that God has brought us to the next season to cross over, and we carefully backed away from it and said, not now. I wonder how many times he's brought us to that place and said, I need you to make a decision, and we backed away. Can I tell you, when God was calling me to Philadelphia, there was something supernatural that happened. I said, God, if you want me to leave these people, you're going to have to change my heart. You're going to have to change my heart because I love these people. I've been here 24 years. I've dedicated their children, and now I'm marrying their children. I mean, I'm seeing an entire generation. I mean, the church has expanded. The church has grown. All these things. And God, if you're going to change, if you want me to leave, you have to change my heart. And, and this is a, that's a dangerous prayer to pray because when God wants you to do something, he'll begin to change your heart. And so I told the men this, I, I flew to Brussels, Belgium, and I was on a mission trip there. And I'd been praying about this. God, what do you want me to do? I, I don't know what to do. I feel like if I do this, I'm abandoning my parents that are in their mid to late 70s. Christy's dad was in his early 80s. You know, we've we built a lot. It's almost like I was giving God a long list of all the things that I've done, and I'm comfortable now, and God, leave me alone. Let me just pastor these people and leave me alone. People are still getting saved, God. I mean, what more do you want? <laughs> and what God wants is you. And so I was over in Brussels, Belgium, and, and I knew about the church, and I knew they were looking at me, and I was praying about this, and... And I go into a library, and I'm all by myself in this library. And as I start to leave four hours later, I notice that on the bottom shelf, now there's hundreds of thousands of books in this library. But on the bottom shelf, there's 10 volumes of the Pentecostal Evangelists. How many remember the Pentecostal Evangelists? 1991 was their 
all in one year. And I said, hold on just a minute. And I picked it up. I opened it up. Christian and I got married in 1991. I picked it up. And it laid open. I took my fingers and I flipped it one time. And it's the church in Philadelphia that's talking to me about them being built and everything about their history. Full page article in the Pentecostal manual. I backed up and this is exactly what I said. God bring me to that line, right? That are you going to cross over? And I back up and I pull a Moses. I said, oh God, don't make me do this. God, that's not what I want to do. You know, it's not about what we want to do. It's about what God wants to do through us. And we have to come in agreement with what God wants to do, no matter how comfortable we Listen, there was nobody more comfortable than me. I mean, I was talking with my dad the other day, and my dad said, to this very day, Mark, I still miss you. He said, I still miss you coming over. We hunted and fished together. We did all these things. But the kingdom of heaven is more important than anything else that we do. And what he's called us to. I'm thankful that God calls us. And so you get the sense that God brings us to these places and he says, will you cross the line? And sometimes the line is just too hard to cross for some people. Talked with a man one time that was in a hospital. I didn't know this man. I was just going to, this family asked me, said, will you come pray with him? He's about to pass away. And I want you to listen. God brings us all to those lines and said, will you cross it? God brings us to those places that said, will you step into the life that I have created for you? Not that you've created, but that I've created. Will you step into that life? So I go to talk to this man. And I, I, the one thing I'm concerned about, like every pastor, I'm concerned they're about to step into eternity. Where are you at with the Lord? You know, are you ready to meet Jesus? Because all of us are going to meet Jesus. So this is the one thing I'm concerned about. But I'm sort of wanting his family to step out. And I walk in the room, I meet them all, and then the family looks at me and says, hey, listen, we're just going to step out for a while. I said, perfect. So I began to talk to him, and I said, where are you at with the Lord? This guy immediately begins to tear up. He says, I need to talk with you. Pastor, I know you're here. Listen to what he unpacks. He said, Pastor, I know that I'm about to meet Jesus and I'm afraid. I said, why are you afraid? Because I wanted to know. I wanted him to tell me why he was afraid. He said this, when I was a young man, God was moving in my life. And God was speaking to me and I dedicated my life to him. And the Lord called me into ministry. And I said no and walked away from him. He said, and now I'm about to stand before him. Folks, that's heavy. God had called him to step into and intersect with people's lives that their destiny would be changed forever. And he said no. And now he's about to stand before Jesus, the one who called him. You know what happened? He got to that line and the devil told him, said, this is too hard. This is not worth it. You're going to have to give up everything that you love to do this. And see, some people... They step across other people, they back away. But all of us are brought to that place. No matter your background, no matter your gifting, no matter your talent, if you say to the Lord, use me, he will. And he'll bring you to a place that says, okay, no matter how many. See, because people think that the crossing the line is when you get saved. That's true. You cross the line and say, okay, my life is not my own. And you cross the line and you're saved. But after that, that's not the end work. 
That's not the end. Jesus continues. Paul said he was moved from glory to glory. So there's this progression of our faith that God's calling us to this. And it doesn't matter how old you are. Listen, I've had friends, I've got one friend right now that he had a company, he had a business, a thriving business in his mid-50s. God called him into missions. He sold his entire business and everything. All his grandkids, everything. He left them and went overseas. That's being all in. That's crossing the line. Now, he could have very easily said, God, you blessed me with this business, and I'm blessing the kingdom, and I'm giving money to the church. And, all that. and God's saying, you, you really think that I want your money? See, we think that God really wants our money. What God wants is us. And then he'll get everything else. But he really wants us. He really wants the commitment from us. Think about Moses. Think about this. Moses, when he's at the Red Sea, there's nowhere to go. You've got to cross the line. There's no backing up. And sometimes God does this. He brings us to the place that there's no backing up. What about Joshua? I want to take you to the life of Joshua just real quick. Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1 and verses 1, listen to what it says. Joshua, he's brought Joshua to this place of no return. What are you going to do, Joshua? What are you going to do at this place? Joshua 1 and 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, now listen to what he did. He didn't even tell him where he, would, where he died. Because he knew that they would dig up his bones and bring his bones everywhere. This is what they did. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. He said, I need you to get ready. Your mentor is dead. The person you look to is dead. The person that led you is dead. What are you going to do? What are you going to And understand that it wasn't like Joshua was the chief commander. He was his aide. He was an aide. He had no leadership qualifications whatsoever. And he chooses him. And he says, I need you now to lead my people to the other side. He's not the commander in chief. He's an aide. Remember this. He used to take the place of Moses. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 34. It says, since then, this, listen, this is the guy that he's taking the place of. He said, since then, no prophet had risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all the officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power performed, the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. You're going to take his place. You, I'm going to follow that guy. Yeah, you're going to follow that guy. I need you to cross over the line. I need you to move, Joshua. Why would God call us to the places that we ourselves can do? Then we wouldn't need him. God always calls us to the places where if he doesn't show up, we're in trouble. God always calls it. God, listen, if it doesn't scare you, it's probably not from God. Is it seriously? Because it's, it's relying on, I want to tell you, when, when I thought about God calling me to Philadelphia, it was like, I need you to go to Siberia. 
Seriously. I'm like, huh? I remember looking at Christy. I'm like, could he call us somewhere like to Texas? I mean, or Georgia, or, I mean, I'll go to Kentucky. But Philadelphia? I mean, Philadelphia, but can I tell you what happened? As he brought me to that place, I just began to study about Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the birthplace of America. And I thought, God, wouldn't it be incredible if you birthed the greatest revival the world has ever known in the birthplace of America? And I began to pray that way. I began to, I'm going to tell you, the politics of a nation is in that I-95 corridor from D.C. all the way to Boston. Listen to this. The most unreached people groups in all of America are in that I-95 corridor. And I began to go, oh, dear Jesus. And what happened is I began to read these things. I began to weep. And God's saying, I'm bringing you to the line. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he tells, listen to this. He tells Joshua. I, I tell you, I pastored in a town of 30,000 people in Crestview, Florida. It's not the sixth largest city in America. I mean, I pastored in an area that's the Bible Belt. That everyone, really, you don't meet anyone that's really obstinate to the gospel. Now, they may be, they may be desensitized to the gospel in a large sense, being in the Bible Belt, but no one's outright obstinate against it. You get in Philadelphia, you feel like you've stepped in hell's backyard. Seriously. It's so obstinate to the gospel. And yet, this is what I found out. When you preach the gospel, people are getting saved like crazy. Because people are hungry for truth. People are hungry for hope. We're living in a world right now that is in such transition. People are looking for hope. And he's waiting for somebody just to step across the line. Did you know this in Wasilla and in Anchorage and these areas out here? People are looking for hope. They're waiting for someone who will just step across the street. They're looking for someone. God is calling us. He calls Joshua and he says, I know that you may not be qualified, but I need you to take the place of that guy. So think about it. Joshua was being called to the place that Moses could not go. Well, when you think about this, the most qualified man, if we look at the most qualified leader in all the Bible besides Jesus, it was Moses. And yet God was telling Joshua, Moses can't go to that place, but you can. See, there are some places that people around you, they can't go to that God's depending on you to do it. He's depending on me to do it. God says, now it's your turn. So Joshua is being called to this place. I want to I just give you two thoughts here. When God brings you to that place of decision, you got to ask yourself a couple of questions. First of all is this, what baggage am I going to leave behind? Because this is one thing I discovered. You can't bring your past into your future. You, you can't. There's baggage you're going to have to leave. There's going to, it, one of the hardest things that I did, but I knew I had to do, and pastors would understand this. When I left Florida, I looked at Christy and I says, we're changing our phone number. We're getting off social media platforms. We're doing all that. We are no longer the shepherd there. They will have a shepherd there. We'll be the shepherd in Philadelphia. So as a pastor, we walked away from a thousand plus people that we had did life with the last 24 years and we walked by ourselves. It felt like a thousand plus deaths in our life. 
And yet I was excited about the new season. I was excited about God. You're bringing me into a place that's a new season. And can I tell you what? In just three short years, I've already fallen in love with the people of Philadelphia. I don't want to be anywhere else. I'm like, God, please don't bring me to another line. <laughs> Let me just stay here. But I can tell you, I know how God works. There's going to come a place, and it may not be to leave Philadelphia, but there'll be a decision that I have to make probably in the next week. Mark, are you going to cross the line? Because this is how God works. We have to leave the baggage behind. If I'm going to cross over, I can't bring all of this baggage. And, and a lot of times the question is, what do we have to leave behind to move ahead? Maybe it is a person. Maybe it's a relationship, a friendship. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's unforgiveness to cross over that line. You cannot take hold of your future carrying around a bag from your past. You can't. Listen to what it says in verse 3 and 4. It says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend to the desert of Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea and all of the West. He said, listen to this. I want you to think about what he is saying here. He's saying, I need you to move beyond this. To move forward, to cross the line. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is what baggage are we going to leave behind? Here's the second question we have to ask ourselves. What step do I need to take? What's the next step that I need to take? Remember, he said this. He said, every place you set your foot, I will give you. And I, we really need to hear this really carefully because we somehow think that God's going to open up every door for us for us just to walk through. When God's saying many times, put your hand on the doorknob and open it. I will give it to you if you're willing to take the step. See, some people are saying, God, I need you to bless my life, but they don't want to take a step. You know what they're saying? God, I need you to bless the life that I've designed for myself. I need you to bless my life. And God's saying, I don't, this is one thing I've discovered over the years. God's not entitled to bless my dreams, but God is entitled to bless his dreams for my life. Does that make sense? We'll, we'll do this. We'll get, I see this all the time as a pastor. I see people get involved in a relationship that they know is not godly, and then they'll ask God to bless it. They'll say, God, I need you to bless this. God said, well, I wasn't in this to begin with. And, or they'll get involved in a business decision and they'll say, God, I need you to bless it. Or God, I need you to bless my finances. And I listen, I get to do this because I'm guest. And I'm going to help pastor out here. People are saying, God, bless my finances, but you won't tithe. How's God supposed to do that? How's God, it's like, if you don't trust him in the little thing, why would he ever give you a bigger future? If, why in the world, if we can't trust him in, the few, in what we're walking in right now, why would he give us something that is bigger and better than that? If we can't even trust him in what we have right now. And what we'll do is we'll say, God, I need you to bless me. And, but God is saying, what I need you to do is I need you to be diligent and take a step. There's a future that God wants to give all of us, but it requires us taking a step and moving forward. He brings Joshua to this to this place of the Jordan River. It's at flood stage. It seems impossible. He said, but I need you to take a step. I need you to move. I need you to move. I shared this with the men that the day that I flew into Philadelphia, I was by myself 
Christy was flying up the next day. It was on a Thursday. I was going to start preaching. I was going to start pastoring there on a Sunday. And I had burned the bridge. The bridge was burned. I mean, there's no going back to Florida. I've resigned. The office is packed up. It's done. And so I, I'm pretty much all in. And remember this, when you get all in and you're at that place where you're about to cross over, the enemy will always show up. And this is exactly what happened. I started flying into Philly and I turned, if you've been in Philly, they'll turn the plane over the city. And it was about two o'clock. And I see the outline of all these high rises. And I'd been there already a couple times, but I saw all the high rises and the sun comes in. Have you ever been on a plane and the sun just comes through the window and you can feel the heat? And I feel this sun hit me and I see the city. And all of a sudden, this fear tries to come up on me. And the enemy goes, uh-huh, you did it to yourself. You think that you can leave Crestview, Florida and come to Philadelphia and pastor. You did this to yourself. You burned all the bridges. What are you going to do now? And I had been all through this process, I'd been quoting what Paul said to the church in Corinth. My life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. And I closed my eyes and I said this. As soon as I started feeling, I said, my life is not my own. My life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. I kid you not, it's like the atmosphere in that plane went. And I felt the peace of God just come over and I started smiling. I was like, this is going to be great. It, It felt like flood states to me. It felt like there's no way I can cross this. The the enemy will always come when you stand before that Jordan and he's saying, no, 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 no. You got family. You got your business. You got a job. You got relationships. If you do all of this, you're going to leave everything and it's flood stage. What are you going to do? What are you going to do at that place? Are you going to set your foot in the Jordan? What's your next step? What's my next step? This is the thing that, I, that I've understood. Always, so I loved sports. I played sports. I played football, baseball, all these things. And one thing I discovered, even about football, the sign of a good running back, the sign of a good running back, if you look at NFL, you look in college, you look anywhere, the sign of a good running back is when they're tackled, they'll make sure that their helmet or their face, no matter where they're tackled, is always pointing to the end zone. If they have to spin their body, if they have to contort their body, they're always going to look forward. And can I tell you that when the enemy comes against you, if you get knocked down, make sure that when you fall, you're always falling forward. You're always looking towards the goal that God has for you because you're going to get knocked down. I get knocked down. We all get this part of this process called life. But we're moving forward. We're deciding, you know what? I'm going to take, even if it's one step at a time. Sometimes success is just one step. Think about this. Some of you that you love the gym and you love to work out and all that, we're going to pray for you. (laughs) But this isn't, we know this. Anytime we work out, anytime you run, anytime you have a discipline, you don't become an expert in that field overnight. It's a series of small steps. It's a, one of my f- most favorite commercials that was on TV for years was this guy, you know, he was trying to lose weight. And if you remember, he walks around, he walks around the uh, scales one time 
and stands back on them. And it doesn't move and he sort of pops it. Like that's supposed to happen. But can I tell you, here's the reality. How, are, how we change our life and how we move forward God many times is just one step. It's just one step. It's just, you know what? When I look back over the last three years, I see a series of actually just small little steps. That's why they weren't great big steps. Yes, the initial step is I had to step into that water, but then I felt God's presence and it was another step. And he never really paved the path out for it. But it's, as I took those series of steps, this is what I want to tell you. What will happen is the more steps you have, the more confidence you'll not have in yourself, the more confidence you'll have in who he is. It's about moving forward. And some of you are at that place. You're at that line right now. You're at that line and, and you have a decision to make. And I don't know what that decision is. Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe I don't know what it is. But you're at that line and you know you are. And even as I preach right now, you know you're at that place. Listen to what it says in verse 5 and 6. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. This is what the Lord is saying to Joshua. As I was with Moses... So I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. He said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you in this. But I need you to take a step. Listen to what he says in Joshua 3 and, 3 and 4. He says this. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, in other words, when you see the presence of God, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the little Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. That's a very clear instruction, isn't it? Follow the presence of the Lord. Because that's where our safety's at. Follow the presence of the Lord. Then you will know which way to go. Listen, listen very carefully. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been there before. Why would God call you to a place you've been before? He's calling you to a place you haven't been before. And he's saying, follow me. Isn't that the scariest place, though? You're like, man, I don't. This is unfamiliar. This is new to me. I don't understand this. You see, we love comfort, don't we? We really do. I love comfort. I mean, it's our fleshly appetite. We love comfort. It's one thing I've discovered. My dad, I grew up hunting. And I love being in the outdoors. Maybe that's one reason. I got, the first day I got here, I was like, man, I love Alaska. Because I can be in the outdoors all the time. Well, I hear your winters are pretty tough. But you can ice fish, I guess. This is the thing I, I discovered. I love in the south, we do a lot of whitetail deer hunting. This thing I've discovered, even deer Deer will follow the path of least resistance. They do. I knew this. The 130 acres I was on, we had a couple food plots. But coming into those food plots, I knew this. About September, I would go in and cut new trails coming into the food plot. I'd cut new trails that I could see down from my shooting house. Because I knew what a deer would do. Deer's not going to go through that thick brush. They may go through that thick brush, but they're coming to that trail. Because even animals will follow a path of least resistance. Humans are the same way. It's too tough. We look, we see a, a, a river like that and we go, oh, there's got to be a bridge somewhere. Oh, there has to be an easier path than this. Why would God call us to the easy places? 
See, I, I want you to hear this. He was calling Joshua to a place he had never been before. Why would God call us to the familiar places? God calls us to the places where we have to rely on him. God calls us to the place that in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Listen to what he says in verse 7 and 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so that you may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the waters, go and stand in the river. He says, when you reach the edge, go ahead and put your feet. Even Here's the thing. Even before I back up the water, I need you to put your feet in the water. You know what he's saying? Every place you set your foot. Okay, I want to say it this way. If you are unwilling to take a step, God is unwilling to give it to you. I mean, that is a biblical principle we see all throughout God's Word. If you are unwilling to take a step for salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible is saying, take a step and I will meet you. This is what it's saying. He's saying, Joshua, when you set your feet in the water, then I'll know you mean business. And then I'll show up. You know what we want? We want God to show up first. And then we're like, hey, we'll do it. Well, that's not really faith, is it? Faith is putting my feet in the water before. Faith is saying, God, I know you called me to this. So I'm going to sell everything and I'm going to pursue you. And it's not God... If you'll put a bunch of money in my account, then I'll follow you. God is saying, no, I need you to follow me. And I need you to trust me. Listen to what it says in verse 14 and 16. So when the people broke cramp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at flood state. <laughs> it's like the story gets worse. I need you to follow Moses. He's dead, by the way. Mm, that's not good. I need you to follow the path of Moses, but he's dead, so I need you to do it, and you're just an aide, and I need you to get all these people, and I need you to go before the river, and when you get to the river, oh, by the way, it's going to be at flood stage. It's like the odds are so stacked against Joshua here, and he says, but all I need you to do is put your feet in the water. That's all he's asking us is, will we move? Will we take a step? Will we take a step and believe that he has a future for us? It says, so when the people broke camp and crossed the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of him. Now the Jordan was at flood stage and all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge and the water upstream stopped flowing. Now you've read that story. I've read that story. Many, many times. But that story's for us. Why did he give us this account? To help us. You may be standing in front of a place right now. You feel it's that place. Listen, God's always going to bring you to the line of decision. Every single one of us. Maybe all of us can understand it better this way. Even Jesus was brought to the line of decision. You say, How? what do you mean? I mean, he was a son of God. No, no, no. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? It's a line of decision. Remember, Jesus was fully human, yet fully God. The Bible says he was acquainted with our weaknesses. So he knows what it means to suffer. He knows pain. So he's at the Garden of Gethsemane, 
And he says this, he's at the line of decision. He knows what's going to happen. He's seen a Roman crucifixion. He knows that he's betrayed. He knows they're coming. And he said, Father, the line of decision. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass me. He knows I'm at a line of decision. Am I going to, because he had a decision, am I going to leave the Garden of Gethsemane under darkness and wait for another day? And he prays his prayer. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You know, that's what I said in that Belgium library. Father, don't make me do this. I don't want to do this. It's too hard. You know what separates the people who do extraordinary things from the people that do ordinary things? People that will cross over. It's the people that will decide that I'm going to step across the line. Jesus said, nevertheless, not as I will, but what you will. No, shouldn't that be all of our prayers? God, my life's not my own. My life is not my own. I heard a quote from a friend years ago that I, I just, I never forgot. And he said this, make sure Make sure that your memories are not greater than your dreams. Make sure that's your memories. Another friend told me this, and I shared it with the guys. Another friend said this. God will never, ever, ever give you a life that makes him unnecessary. Never. If right now, God is just sort of this person for you that you just lean on every once in a while, and he's a vending machine, then you've never had that real experience. Because there's something about that real experience that you'll come to the line, and your heart will just be doing this. But you know that he's with you. You know he's with you. Some of you are at that line of decision today. Some of you, maybe it's salvation. You're at that line of decision. You know you're not where you should be with the Lord. You know that if you stand before God today, you're not where you should be. Can I tell you, you should look at it this way. Thank God that he's brought you in this place that you can make a decision to follow him. That he is pulling you away and it may look like flood stage, but can I tell you, if you will take a step, he'll back the river up and you'll walk into your destiny. You'll walk into your, I have friends that refuse to walk into their destiny. They're not even in church anymore. Because here's the thing. If you always have a dream that's right before you and you know God's given it to you and you never act on it, that dream will become a nightmare. And very quickly. So maybe you're at that line of decision for salvation. Maybe you're just at that line of decision you're saved and you know God's calling you into something else. God's calling you, maybe it's Maybe you're serving here in this church and God's been telling you, I need you involved in this ministry. I need you to be involved in the, in the, in the boys' ministry or the girls' ministry or the men's ministry or the women's ministry. I need you to teach a class. I need you to teach a small group. And you're at that place and you, God's had you at that place. What is keeping you from stepping into your destiny? You say, well, I'm just not ready. What does that mean? You know, I'm just not ready yet, Pastor. What does that mean? So do you get ready? What does that look like? You know, I've always found this. 
that God always used the broken pieces to create the masterpiece. Step across the line. Quit making excuses. I love you. Your pastor loves you. We want you to step into your destiny and everything God has for you. But if you are unwilling to take a step, God is unwilling to give it to you. I want you to bow your head right there where you're at. Lord, God, you bring us all to these places. God, you'll bring me to that place again, I, I know. And, it, and God, all these places look different. Some of them, they may not seem like that big of a deal, and then there are others that's like, man, this is, this is life-changing. And God, this morning, as we stand, maybe we're standing at that line in the sand, and Lord, you're asking us, what are you going to do? Because you won't pull us across. You, you're not going to pull us across and just say, you, you have to come across. You've given us a free will. You love us so much. You gave us, we're, we're free moral agents. We can make these choices and these decisions. And God, this morning, all around this congregation, there are people that have come to that place. Maybe people just crossed over and they, they see exactly what I'm talking about. They see it. They've experienced it. And God, we've all experienced it if we're believers. We've crossed the line of salvation. And maybe you've brought us it and we've crossed it. But sometimes, God, we can get comfortable even after the last place we've crossed. God, I think of Caleb even when he crossed over. And they were giving out all the land. Caleb could have just been satisfied with taking just some land that was safe, but Caleb, the oldest guy in the whole, in all of God's people, him and Joshua, the oldest people, Caleb said, give me the hardest land, the land of the giants. God, no matter what age we are, may we still live with passion to say we're all in. And you know, as you just bow your head this morning, everyone in here, Perhaps you're here and you say, Pastor, that's me. That's right where I'm at. I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus. Friend, Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he died for you. I know we, we hear that all the time. Your pastor says that to you. But I want to tell you, Jesus loves you. And he's got this life for you. You may think, well, sometimes I think the scariest thing is we, all we know is what we know and we wonder how do we move forward? And why don't you just let Jesus work those details out? <laughs> you just take a step. And maybe right there where you're at, you would say, Pastor, that's me. I just need Jesus. And you just Right there where you're at, you'll just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Will you just pray for me? Yeah. Yeah. Is there anybody else? Yes. Is there anybody else? You just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. See, that. be a courageous person this morning and say, Pastor, that is me. Yep. 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 You mind the balcony? I can't sit up in the balcony, but I just want to. Yep. 
You can put your hands down. I want to ask this question. Maybe you're at a place right now. You're at a place of decision beyond salvation. You're at a place of decision. You know God's calling you to another level. And you say, Pastor, I'm I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at, but I know God's calling me to this place. Would you pray for me? And you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Just real quick, you'll put it up and you can put it right back down. Yeah. Yeah, just a number of hands. Praise God. Praise God. You're willing to, you're just willing to step across. Man, I, I love it. I, I, when I see people say, I'm willing to step across, man, I, I think of all the guys that joined in with William Wallace and said, let's do it. Let's charge hell with a squirt gun. We can do this. God will help us. I, I want us all just to stand right now. And, and I want to pray, and then I'm going to turn over to pastor. And but I, I'm leaving. This is your day. This is your day. Don't let this be just an ordinary day. But this is your day. For some of you that lifted your hands, now don't go home. Remember, this is what the enemy will do. Don't go home and try to work out how you're going to do it. Okay? What you do is, and let me just give you an example. You say, I know God's calling me to help pastor at this church. You know what you do? First thing in the morning, you call him. You call somebody that's in ministry here and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to cross over. I'm ready to get involved. What do I need to do? What what do I need to do? And you go ahead and commit. You know the reason we ask people to publicly proclaim Jesus? Accountability. You say, accountability? Yeah. We want you to do this so we're accountable. When I made the commitment to the Lord 32 years ago, I came to an altar and for two hours I cried my eyes out. I got up and looked like I had been in a fight. My eyes were just about swollen shut. I had such an, I had a Damascus Road experience. But you know what? Everybody saw that. And they held me accountable. And you know what? I knew everybody saw that, and so it held me accountable. It's a reason we do a public profession of faith. That's the reason we do baptism. We publicly commit. I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to turn over to Pastor, and however he wants to pray for those that lift their hands, we can do that. But I'm going to pray for you right now. Are you ready? Come on, let's just slip up our hands. Father, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord, we need you. Oh, Lord, you brought us to this place of decision. You brought us to this place of crossing over. And God, we desperately need you. But God, what we need more than anything else is the fortitude to say, whether I feel you or not. And God, forgive us for the times where we prayed to feel something rather than just living by our faith. That by faith, we'll step across the line. By faith, we'll take another step. Even when we don't feel like it, by faith, we'll do it. Those times where you called us to ministry, that we don't even feel like it, we take another step. And then we take another step. And then we take another step. And what we're feeling is we're feeling your sustaining power helping us. And we're seeing the supernatural happen. And the waters are backing up. God, for those that lifted their hands and said, I just need Jesus. The Bible's really clear. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus, your Lord, there's no one else that is Lord but you. God, every person in here, I know this, and I could ask everyone, everyone wants a Savior, but not many want Lord. That's our world we live in. They want someone to save them for eternity. But Lordship is God. You 
know the beginning from end and I give you my life. I turn my life over to your Lordship. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that Jesus was raised from the dead, he's at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if we pray that prayer, that we're saved. We've crossed the line into an incredible destiny. Would you help us, Jesus, to walk in that destiny today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app or by going online at summitwc.com give.